The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. I uh, had some people in the, in the lobby mention uh, my sweater, and they said, it looks like they're seals, but they're actually cats. So just thought you should know that. And it actually does sing a song, too, but you really can't hear it. There's a little thing over here that I accidentally pushed while I was reading Scripture last service, and that wasn't good. So hopefully that doesn't happen again. But uh, hey, I want to take a moment and, and celebrate something. We got a letter um, from the Marysville Community Food Bank. Uh, some of you might know Del Deerling. He heads that up, but just gave us a letter I wanted to read uh, just briefly. It says, Dear Angels of the Grove Church, we are so thankful for you and the incredible support you provide to the food bank and our programs. You are an invaluable partner in addressing the basic needs of our families in need of support. Thank you for a successful Rush Freddy's event, your in-house food drive, and all of the support for the Community Food Bank. And thank you, thank you, thank you for opening your doors once again to host our 2019 toy store. There's not a better setting than what you offer for the toy store. The feedback from the families who benefit um, and the volunteers who give their time is off the charts. This partnership has brought a brighter Christmas to all children and families involved, and this brightness extends to our entire community. And so I just wanted to say thank you um, for, for all that, that you brought gifts in. You helped with logistics. Um, you did setup. We always value partnerships. And while some of what we do at Christmas is specifically for families connected to the Grove Church that are struggling, it's also in partnership with the community and the food bank. And by the way, if you head out to the lobby on your way out today and where those trees were hung, where you grab some of the tags, now there's some of the statistics about what we were able to do together as a community and as a church. And you can read that. But the one I really loved is that there was over... Um, over a thousand kids that will get Christmas this season because of what was able to happen. So I just want to say thank you for that. Um, also, just as, as a note of, of uh, reminder, I mentioned kind of this tutoring idea that we're working towards, and we are making some headway. The, the wheels turn a bit slowly, but what's cool is that uh, Lori Nyans has been helping me. She's been involved in our school district for, for years and years, and um, she's helping me put the pieces together, and I'm excited because we are making some headway with some meetings coming up in January, February with some individuals in our community that are part of our school board that, that are helping so that we can move towards uh, some of the tutoring we want to do to help our kids in our community with the basics, reading, writing, arithmetic stuff. So you'll hear more about that, but just want to give you an update. Um, and then finally, I would love to have security remove Michelle Resitar, wherever she's at, um, for that sweater. So if we can get her drug out of here, that'd be really great. Um, and I want to make sure we get that on video. So if we can... Anyway, hey, if you got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 2. Um, I'm actually going to read the whole chapter here in just a little bit. But um, real quick, I want to mention this. All great Christmas movies have one thing in common. There's got to be an off button. I didn't even look. Come on. Is there? Oops. Oh. I'll just leave it right there for you. So that was perfect. Um, all great Christmas movies have one thing in common, and some of you guys are maybe thinking through like, well, what is that? You know, and you're thinking, is it, is it snow, or is it Christmas trees, or jingle bells, or whatever? And the simple answer is, all great Christmas movies have this in common, chaos. 
When you think about the movies probably that you love, you think of like last night we watched It's a Wonderful Life as a family. And obviously when you watch the movie, what happens is chaos at the point where he decides he doesn't want to live. And, and you know, his, his guardian angel makes it so that he never existed. And what ensues is absolute chaos. And he finally gets to the point of desperation where he realizes how good he has it. Um, I think of Christmas Vacation and Clark Griswold and all he wants to have is a good old fashioned family Christmas The problem is he invited Cousin Eddie and Catherine and they show up in their beautiful new RV and park it in the driveway for over a month. And um, and then Uncle Lewis and Aunt Bethany show up and uh, again, chaos ensues. There's a kidnapping, his house is destroyed and most of us love it. Anyway, um, Miracle on 34th Street. That's an older one. How many guys have seen that one? Okay, Miracle on 34th Street, the chaos is this idea that Santa doesn't exist, and they're trying to prove he does, and the courtroom, and the gifts, and the letters, and all that stuff. Um, I think of Elf. Anybody seen Elf? Okay, yeah. The chaos of Elf is Buddy, who has the simplicity of a child, sort of mentally comes into the, the, the adult world and realizes things don't operate as they should, and it's kind of chaotic, and we enjoy the entertainment. I think of Home Alone, and the Wet Bandits, or Jingle All the Way, and Turbo Man, or the movie A Christmas Story and the point where the bumpus hounds eat the turkey and they have to go to the Chinese restaurant and enjoy you know, them singing to them and eating whatever it is that still has the head on. Anyway, um, in fact, by the way, one of the biggest complaints about the Hallmark Channel Christmas movies is that, which by the way, I enjoy, can I just say that? Am I allowed to say that? Um, is that they're too predictable. Because here's what it is, and I don't even have to look at my notes for this one. There's an attractive young ad executive from a big city that decides to go to a small town home just to visit family for the season, only to find out that some business tycoon has come in and they want to destroy the, the local pet rescue shelter um, and, and build condos where they're going to make a mattress full of money, and yet that rescue shelter is run by an attractive young gal who also loves to bake. Am I, are we good? Are we tracking? You know? <laughs> With this one, it's just, come on, we all know. But anyway, the, the, the truth is, the great Christmas movies, yeah, they're silly, um, but we can relate. We know chaos. People talk about chaos all the time. In fact, probably some of your favorite family moments and even Christmas moments, if you're looking back, probably had a level of chaos in them. And when you look back, you remember, even though you spent the entire season in tears because you felt like Christmas was ruined. The deal is this, you and I are in good company because what you see in the actual story of of sort of the first Christmas in what we call the gospels, Matthew in particular, and in Luke, what you see in the story of Christmas is absolute chaos. And maybe you've never taken time to really look at how insane the whole story is. But when you take it from Matthew and you take it from Luke and you read about, you know, shepherds and wise men and and, and Mary and Joseph and angelic visitations and all that goes on, the Christmas story is a story of utter chaos. And I'm not overstating that fact. In fact, let's go ahead and read. And I'm just going to take Matthew chapter two, and we'll walk through it here in a moment. There's more in Matthew one. There's more in the gospel of Luke, but it says this, Matthew two, starting at verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. 
When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house... They saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and younger in accordance with the time that he learned from the Magi. Then what he, uh, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and, uh, and in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took his took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. God, today, as we stop and and God ponder this text, I I pray for your Holy Spirit to help us understand that, God, this whole story is a story of chaos. And there are times in our own lives where things get chaotic, where things get hectic, where things don't go as we would expect. And Lord, for many in this room, it causes an anxiety, it causes a loss of joy, it causes a short-temperedness and a frustration, and all of these different things that lead us down a path that you don't want us to go. And instead, God, of looking at what's going on that's chaotic and navigating it through your spirit, we refuse to accept it, and we allow seasons of our lives to be ruined And I pray today you would open our hearts and eyes to a different way to look at it. In Jesus' name, amen. This whole story, and I'm just taking chapter two, this whole story is a story of utter chaos. 
And when you see the pieces of it, you realize that, that you know, things are all over the place. And the problem is this. You and I often read the scriptures and we talk about devotionally. And so we read through a chapter and we check it off on our reading plan and we go about our day and we don't really take in how crazy this whole thing is. When you jump in at verse one and two, it's the story of these wise men who kind of checking out the stars and realize that there's something going on in the heavens and the Lord is trying to tell them something. So they travel because they see a star in the sky. And this is the only gospel, by the way, that this story is recorded in. It doesn't appear in Mark, Luke, or John, only in Matthew. But in this passage alone, Matthew chapter two, you have fear deception, you have evil, you have injustice, you have homelessness, you have fleeing, and you have bloodshed. In one chapter, you have all of this. It it talks about these wise men, and they've come to bring gifts to, to a king because somehow the Lord has revealed to them they've got to follow this star, and they're going to see a king. So they begin to travel, and they begin to ask around about, does anybody know about like, like this king, or this baby thing? Anybody know what's going on? And word gets out in Jerusalem. Well, guess what? Herod is king. And when, because Herod is king, when he begins to get wind of another king, all of a sudden, his eyes perk up. All of a sudden, he's wondering, like, wait a minute. He, you know, he, he, he's processing what's happen, happening. And, and what you need to understand about King Herod is this. If he's king, then anyone else with the title king is a threat. And Herod is not a nice guy. Herod is known historically as an individual who got wind or or thought there was an idea that his sons were wanting to take over the throne before he died, and he had his own sons killed. He had multiple of his wives murdered. He was known for being ruthless. So when word gets out that there's another king in town, you can imagine his eyes didn't perk up, his ears did, but his ears perk up and he's wondering what's going on here. And so when when you look at the whole story, he deceives the wise men. It talks about them being led by the star and and it, it specifically says that King Herod got wind and began to ask around and it was confirmed that there would become a king from the prophetic text of the Old Testament, and Herod is deeply troubled by this news. The wise men come to bring gifts to the king being led by a star, and it says that they got to the place that somehow the star in the sky had stood still or stopped or whatever, and they realize this is the place. They go in, and they see this baby, and and they bow down and worship. That doesn't seem odd to anyone else in the room because many of us in here are familiar with the Christmas story. But think about this moment where three strangers show up because of a star and bow down and worship a baby. It's a little odd. And then instead of giving like onesies and pacifiers, they offer gold and frankincense and myrrh. That's odd. If you don't understand what those gifts are and prophetically what those gifts are meant to represent, which by the way, one of them has to do with his death and burial, that's a weird gift to give a baby. They have a dream that tells them where to travel. And they do. Now, here's the thing. If you and I are thinking through the lens of, if I was God, I would not do things this, this way. That's what I think. I look at this whole thing and go, why in the world 
If God is God, would he have Jesus born into a scene like this where there's a ruthless king? Why not wait until the king dies and then bring Jesus into the scene where we know Jesus is going to be safe? And we could all say, well, we know the story. I mean, he survives, doesn't he? But, but think about the story without knowing the whole of it. Why does God choose to do it this way? Why in the world couldn't he just wait? And what we find out is, in the midst of the chaos, God has a bigger plan. Which is, by the way, a great word for you and for me, because some of us in this room are control freaks. And we want to know things are in control and things are playing out the way we expect. And there's no left turns and there's no right turns. It's happening exactly how I want. And yet when you read the Christmas story, I'm not sure anything plays out the way that you and I would script it. And you continue in the story and it says that that Herod realizes he's been duped. And in his absolute fury, he has boys to and under murdered. We read it and go, it's part of the Christmas story. Think about that for a minute. And somehow in our own minds, God, what? Why that? That's the Christmas story? That's a portion of it? And then it says it was to fulfill what Jeremiah said way back when in chapter 31 of the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament about the weeping from Rachel. It goes on and it says, after Herod died, an angel appeared to Joseph and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. This is not the first time that Joseph had been told, take the family somewhere. Go here and, and, and go there. Over and over, this happens. Why? Why did did Jesus have to go down to Egypt? Because it fulfilled another prophetic text proving him to be the Messiah out of Egypt I've called my son. See, the thing is, in the chaos, when you read the Christmas story and understand it, what you come to is God has a bigger plan and he uses chaos. None of us like that. Because what you and I do is we rebuke chaos. Lord, I don't want any chaos. Lord, I want everything to go perfectly well. If you and I had our way with the story of Jesus, we'd be praying like God put a hedge of protection around Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And then they go through it. Travel to this country for a while. Oh, Herod's dead. Now travel to this country for a while. Oh, now now his son's going to rule and he has another dream. Now travel over here and raise him over in Galilee in the area of Nazareth. Just randomly? No. It's to fulfill another prophetic verse about the Messiah. He will be called a Nazarene. When you look at the whole of it, you realize God has a bigger plan. You realize, well, I mean, come on, we, we know the story. We, we understand why. But the problem for you and I is in our own lives, in real time, we don't like chaos and we refuse to acknowledge that God just might be at work in the chaos. 
So even as I mentioned a little earlier, we get sour, we get angry, we get off kilter, we get frustrated, we get short-tempered. We shut ourselves in our own little reading room while everybody else is celebrating and, and, and let them go through the motions because we're sideways because things didn't go the way they thought. Is it possible that God put that crazy uncle in your family on purpose? Is it possible that your deep fried turkey blew up on your porch and God had a bigger reason for it? Is it possible that the dog drank all the water and the tree died and now it looks like a Charlie Brown tree and you can't take pictures in front of it? And there was a bigger plan? Is it possible that God is using chaos because he desperately wants to get your attention and you refuse to accept it? And you have to be in control. And you desperately hold on to what you can control, even though control is an illusion. You realize that. Control is an illusion. All it takes is, is one moment. All it takes is one phone call, one meeting, one conversation. All it takes is one letter written. All it takes is, is one thing to send everything in your life spinning in a direction you didn't plan. And you've got plans. I'm going to get married at some point and find the love of my life, and we're going to have a great marriage, and it'll always be an awesome marriage because that's what love does. Love is always awesome. And as we navigate into marriage a few years in, I'd like to make sure we can buy a house. And we're going to have a house. It's going to be a great house, and, and, and nothing will go wrong with it because love is there. And in the right time, when I'm ready and she's ready, we're going to have kids. And we'll make sure we space them out just the right amount. It'll be perfect. Get to choose their gender even. That's what I want. I want to make sure I choose their gender. Because that's the way it works. And they're going to have this kind of personality. And they're going to be this kind of brilliant. And they're going to be kind of funny. And they're going to get all kinds of awards. And they'll win scholarships. And we'll save some money. We'll put the nest egg away. We'll have retirement but money for college. They're going to be successful. And that's how it's all going to play out because you're in control. <laughs> See, you laugh at that one because you hear how absurd it really is. But do you realize in the same way, just on a smaller scale, your ability to map out December 22nd from 1030 beyond into the 23rd, into the 24th and 25th and 26th and all whatever you're going to do after that, and into New Year's and into 2020, you, you've got control. But you don't really. And I want to challenge you that instead of trying to rebuke every bit of, of things out of control, what if you began to pray, God, in the midst of stuff that has me, I don't get it. Is there something you're trying to show me? Is there a way you're asking me to view this? Is there a thing you're wanting to do in me in the midst of things that are out of my control? Because many of us in this room can very much relate to when things get out of my control, I get anxiety, which leads to a lack of sleep, which leads to short-temperedness, which leads to shutting down, which leads to stepping away from my family as much as I'm able to, 
which leads to you becoming a hermit, which leads to you moving out towards the woods out in the Cascade somewhere, which leads to you owning a weird cabin that you don't actually own, you're just squatting in, which leads to you hunting for your food, which leads to you never interacting with anybody ever, which leads to you dying and nobody ever knows, and that's the end of your life. You're like, that went dark. But you understand what I'm saying is simply this. There are things in our lives, whether it's at the holidays or at certain gatherings or certain moments throughout our year when things don't go our way and we don't handle it with the Holy Spirit engaged. We don't handle it in a way that we can get any fruit out of it. All we do is sour everything else. Some of you have the power to change the temperature in the room and it can drop by 10 degrees in 10 seconds. Because you're upset, and everybody knows it. It didn't go the way you expected, and everybody feels it. And you can watch a movie and go, that's hilarious. Clark Griswold lost his marbles. But when it happens to you, it's not funny anymore. What if you allowed the Holy Spirit in your heart to show you something in those moments that you'll never learn any other time. What if? See, the story of Christmas is an insane story of chaos every turn. But, but what about after that? Doesn't it get better? Doesn't it get easier? Well, yeah, I mean, Jesus grows up and he performs miracles and, 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 and he teaches crowds and people marvel at how amazing he is. And they want to crown him king. And wow, look at this guy. And then he begins to say, hey, there's people that really hate me right now. And they want to kill me. And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? You're like giving us bread. Why are they angry about you giving us bread? He gets to say, they're going to kill me. But don't worry, three days later, I'll be raised to life. And they're like, what are you saying? And Jesus' ministry of three years is miracles and traveling and teaching crowds and all of this stuff and people marvel. And then finally, the religious leaders get one of his disciples to betray him. And all of a sudden, Jesus goes to the place he's used to going in prayer and his disciples aren't far off. And it says that Judas shows up and they have him arrested. And Peter, in his vast wisdom, grabs a sword and cuts a dude's ear off. And Jesus is like, here, you can have your ear back. Bless you. <laughs> and then as the story, Jesus is led off and all the disciples run away. Jesus goes through a trial in the middle of the night that's not even an actual legal proceeding, technically. And he's found guilty on the corroboration of liars. They couldn't even get their story straight. And they drop the gavel, he's guilty, and they bring him to the crowd and go, what do you want us to do with this guy? And the, the religious leaders get the crowd to start yelling, crucify him, even though when he walked out of the beginning, that's not what they were yelling. They stir the crucify him, and that's what happens. And all of a sudden, this Messiah, who was born of a virgin, odd, in a cave with animals, in a we say manger, and it sounds so nice, and it wasn't. In a feed trough, this same Messiah ends up nailed to a cross between criminals. 
And as he's on the cross, there's a few things that he says. One of them includes, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Those aren't the words I'd be uttering. And then as he moves towards the end of his life and he's breathing his last breath, what is the last thing he says? It is finished. And if you don't understand the whole story, what it sounds like is this whole movement, everything I've been saying is over because I'm about to die. Anybody ever heard the song The Champion by Carmen? The song The Champion is all about this idea, this picture of, of, of Jesus who would die and that's the end of it, but that wasn't the end. And you and I know the story, so it's old hat. Oh, I already know. This is insane. This is chaos. And Jesus is dead. And all the disciples have scattered. And they don't know what to do with themselves. And the movement seems like it's over. Except that when somebody goes to visit his tomb to bring some burial stuff and mourn him, the tomb's open. And he's not there anymore. And even in that moment, they're like, what? In fact, one of, the, one of the gals who shows up is like to the gardener, like, hey, did, did you take him? And the gardener's Jesus. Again, like, is this chaos to you? And then Jesus, a bunch of different times, appears to not just the disciples, but over 500, it says. People said, I, yes, he was alive, I saw him. And then at the very end, after he said everything to them, taught them different things, said, go make disciples. And that's what, as a church, we're all about, making disciples. But, but he says that. And then, at the very end of all of it, he's standing there, and there's people around him, and he starts ascending up in the sky. Like, in a cloud, he gets above, like above the cloud line, whatever that might have been, and he's gone, and angels go, hey, 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 it's all good. He's gone. He'll be back sometime. It's all good. But for now, go pray. What? So they go back and they pray. And then this, this thing happens. They're in an upper room and there's about 120 gathered. And, and they're praying, wondering like, what do we do now? And God shows up in the form of the Holy Spirit. And the, there's a giant wind that blows through this room. And they saw, it says, what seemed to be tongues of fire come to light on them. And they began to speak in strange tongues. And this whole thing spills out into the streets during a gathering of the Jews. And all of a sudden, people go, what is going on in there? And one guy goes, they're probably just drunk. What? And Peter stands up. Says that they're not drunk. This is to fulfill what God said through the prophet Joel. He talks about in the last days, I'll pour out my... And all, it's, it's, it's incredible, but the whole story is utter chaos. You've maybe never seen it that way, but it's chaos. And instead of you and me constantly, I refuse to accept, I rebuke this cat, whatever, and say, God, is there something that you want to teach me through my crazy uncle? Is there something you want to show me in trying to prepare a meal and the whole thing burned up? Is there something you're wanting to do in me instead of souring your whole season? God is a baby born among animals in a feed trough. Shepherds, 
and wise men and angelic visitations and murder and traveling back and forth from Israel to Egypt and back and to Nazareth and all of it. It's chaos. It's not exactly a Hallmark movie. But here's what you've got to understand. God is there in the chaos. In the entirety of the Christmas story, God is there. And something you and I have got to understand, God is here in the chaos. And I want to challenge you to see it that way. Some of the best Christmases are not when things were perfect. Oddly, those are the forgettable ones. And yet when you look back, you can laugh. It wasn't funny in the moment. But when you realize that God is at work, even in chaos, maybe it causes you to handle the season differently. And I end with this. Do you let things out of your control? Do you let things that don't go as expected, do you let that ruin your season? Because I'm pretty sure for all of us, things won't go exactly as expected. How do you handle it? And the question is simply this, is God there trying to get your attention in ways that you might never expect? Thank you, Steve. Father, today, God, again, for many in here that we need control, we want, it's not that we don't prepare. It's not that we don't have certain plans. It's not that we don't like things to go well. But it's amazing in our own world how so often things don't go the way we would plan them to go. And instead of realizing you could be there, instead of realizing you're trying to do it, we just get sour and it ruins far more. My prayer for all of us, no matter what twists and turns happen today and tomorrow and, and Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and on and on and on, whatever that is, what if we looked at it differently? God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what do you want to show me? And sometimes it's just simply the understanding of, hey, it's okay. God is in control. And I pray that somehow it would reframe how we go about our lives because the enemy doesn't deserve a minute. And there are times in each of our lives in this room, I believe that we not only give him minutes, we give him hours and days and sadly, sometimes weeks and months and years. And I pray for you to break that need for control in our lives. Maybe it's just simply that's what's going on when things don't go our way. You're trying to remind us, I'm God, not you. Father, help us to learn to be more flexible. Help us to look at chaos differently. And instead of simply rebuking it and being sour, realizing that you are there as well. And you're teaching us things that we may never learn otherwise. Holy Spirit, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.